this morning uh, as we are moving into our second week uh, of this series on Hosea. You guys can go ahead and have a seat too. Um, we're on the second week of Hosea. Um, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you uh, to go ahead and, and, and if you haven't checked out last week's message, if you weren't here last week, um, I highly encourage you to, uh, uh, to check out our message online. And I also want to say hello to those of you who are watching online this morning um, and joining us uh, on our Vimeo channel. I uh, just want to say good morning to you. Um, and, and last week, what we did was we looked at the story of, of Hosea. And Hosea is, is a fascinating uh, story. It, it is not what you would expect, I guess you could say, a response from God would look like in a lot of ways. Um, what happens in, in Hosea is fascinating. And last week, Wesley preached this story um, out of Hosea. And what I actually want to do this week um, is I actually want to preach the same message. Only this week I want to share the same message from the perspective of Hosea's wife, Gomer. Um, and if you weren't here last week, again, I encourage you to, to check that out. But before we begin today, I want to begin with sharing this story from when I was um, a kid. I, uh, I, I grew up up in the north, and uh, uh, we went to this church up there. And the church up in the north, uh, it, we had these, these two programs for like, uh, there was like a mother-daughter program and there was like a father-son type program. And the mother-daughter program was called Explorer Girls. And the father-son program was called Tree Climbers. Um, because that's what boys do, apparently. Um, so I was in Tree Climbers with my dad. And, and, and the majority of kind of what that was, it was, um, it, it was like faith and, and, and family time is kind of like what it was. And, and the mothers and daughters would learn like arts and crafts and they'd learn um, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, the father-son program, the tree climbers would learn like, um, like how to build things. And, and, and again, like, like devotions and stuff like that, all that was kind of intermittent into uh, what we were doing there. Um, but we also had this, this retreat um, around winter time. I think it was like early January, February-ish. Um, where we actually went up to the Pocono Mountains and, uh, and, and had a little retreat out there. And again, fathers, sons, and learning how to build fires and all that kind of stuff, rented a cabin. It was really, really cool. And um, it, it was an awesome time for me uh, to just have that time with just me and my dad. And it was one of those moments that I remember just really cherishing just with my father, just as a six-year-old um, up on a mountain learning how to build a fire. And uh, it was one of those moments that was really neat and cool. And there was worship time. And it it was, it was awesome. Um, and it was an overnight trip. So the following morning, again, as a six-year-old with like snow around, I'm like, yeah, I want to go outside. So there were some kids playing out in front of the cabin and stuff. So I went outside early in the morning and I'm playing with some of these kids. And, you know, my dad gets up and he sees me out there playing and, you know, he walks out and, you know, he says, so you, you want to you wanna go have some fun in the snow today? I was like, yeah. Um, so that's how I talked when I was six, um, and occasionally, occasionally when I'm now 26. Um, but uh, he was like, okay, wait right here. I'm going to go get my snow gear on, and we're going to go do something special. And, man, I was excited. I, I was ready to go. This just awesome just time with my dad, and I'm just going to have this awesome, fun time together, and I'm playing with these kids. And not but, like, five minutes later, like, some of the adults and father-sons from the group are coming by, and they're like, hey, we're going to go sled, and you guys want to come? Yeah, like absolutely, like completely forgot that my dad said stay put, right? 
all I know in that moment, I'm a kid and I want to go sledding, right? And I had this really intriguing offer, completely forgot the words of my dad. It's like, dad, dad who, you know? So we go and we're off sledding a little ways away from the cabin and sure enough, here comes my dad. Hey dad, what's up? Oh yeah, I forgot. And my dad is not in the best of moods, I guess you could say. He was livid and he was angry at me because again, perspective of my father, snow gear on, steps outside, my son's gone. Not the best moment, especially when I'm having all this great bonding time with my dad over the last 24 hours. And, you know, we're, he's yelling at me and <laughs> we're going back to the cabin and, and eventually we get back to the cabin and we have a much more like rational discussion <laughs> about what had taken place just moments before. Um, but, but I thought about that story and, and, and what, what happened with me is, is what happens with a lot of us in our faith is that my father told me to do something and I did it up until the moment I had a better offer. I followed my father's instructions right up until something better came along. And I think we do that. Not only do we do that in our faith, like we do that in our everyday lives. Like how many of you like, like if you had a job offer from another company down the road that plays twice as much, how many of you are hanging at your company because God told you to? Ooh, I'm going to pray about that, but I don't know. Right? Like we do this with relationships. Ah, oh, someone come better comes around. We do this when we text a bunch of people Friday night, hey, you doing anything? And then when the really cool person says, yeah, I'm down. All right, forget that other person who said I'd hang out with them. Like we do this. We do this in our faith. So we're faithful right up until inconvenience happens. We don't really realize that an inconvenience is taking place right until, again, we get the better offer. And this is what happens with Gomer. And this is what happens in the story of Hosea. If you've got a Bible, Hosea chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Hosea chapter 1. Now we're going to start in verse 2. It says this, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. That's weird. Okay, it's weird. A lot of translations call Gomer a prostitute. Okay? And we're going to see in a little bit why she's called that. And God says, Hosea, my faithful servant, 
guess what I got in store for you? Go find yourself a promiscuous woman, and she will be your bride. You're welcome. Again, I'm, I'm Hosea. Um, hey, God, uh, no. All right, like, like I, I just don't see myself falling through on that. Gomer's got this, she's got this reputation based on her past. She's got this, you see, Gomer is here and Gomer's known for her promiscuity. And God says, Hosea, I want you to marry Gomer as a literal metaphor for Israel's unfaithfulness to me. Okay, can't there just be the metaphor? <laughs> like, really? Gomer has this history of unfaithfulness. And the question I want to ask us today is how do you stay faithful when you have a history of unfaithfulness? How do you stay faithful when you have a history of unfaithfulness? Because that's the story of Gomer. Like right out of the gate, God says, Hosea, go find yourself a promiscuous woman. You see, Gomer is in this place, and, and, and Gomer eventually, as we'll learn, spoiler alert, Gomer eventually leaves. Like, things work up until a, a, a point with Hosea and Gomer. And eventually, Gomer leaves Hosea. It's like, boy, didn't see that one coming. How do you stay faithful when you have this history of unfaithfulness? And I want to look at why Gomer left. Why Gomer decided to run. And I think we're going to find today that you and I have far more in common with Gomer the prostitute than we do Hosea. I want to, I want to continue reading our story here. In verse 4, so they have this child. The Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. Anybody here named after a massacre? And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel, verse 5. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Kid number one's off to a great start. <laughs> okay. The story continues, verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. The father of this child is unknown. Could be Hosea, could be someone else. The Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo Ruhamah. My first choice too. Uh, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel 
that should at all forgive them. Man, like anybody else that just like weirded out and uncomfortable by this entire story? Lo Ruhama. Verse 7. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. Verse 8. After she weaned Lo Ruhama, Gomer had another son. The Lord said to him, the Lord said, call him Lo Amai, which means not my people. <laughs> For you are not my people, and I am not your God. It's like, God, ease up on the metaphors. Like, like we get it. We, we get it, okay? You're unhappy, right? Let's have a conversation here. What on earth is going on here? Lo Ruhama, lo am I, not my people, unloved? Why would Gomer run? Well, let's, let's look at what's going on in Gomer's life here, okay? Let's just take a look at this practically step by step. Right out of the gate, Gomer is known for one thing, her promiscuity. Right out of the gate, God says, go have children of promiscuity and name them all these weird things. She's known for her promiscuity. The only reason she's really with Hosea to begin with is because God said so. Like, is anybody here really thinking that Hosea would have been like walking those back streets of Israel looking for a wife? Oh, Gomer, she's so cool. <laughs> like, the only reason she's really with Hosea in the first place is because God said to. Her children are symbols of her promiscuity. Why would Gomer leave? Well, why wouldn't she leave after all this? And she's got all of this that's just kind of weighing upon her. She's got all these things that are just kind of weighing deep on her. And Gomer, the prostitute, is like right there in the middle of all of this. And yeah, I'm piecing out here. I can't really deal with all this. All these weird names. The truth is we don't know exactly the buildup to Gomer's departure we could speculate, right? I think that would have been a lot for any of us, where Gomer is, what Gomer's experiencing. Gomer, whose name means completion. Not really in a spot where she's comfortable with that. Not really in a position where she's living up to that. And Gomer's feeling this weight that's just deep and heavy on her, and eventually, let's go ahead. Let's take a look at verse uh, chapter two, verse five. The second half of verse five uh, says this: She said, "I will go after my lovers, who give me my food and my water, my wool 
and my linen, my olive oil, and my drink. She goes back. She goes back to it. And it's heartbreaking because, especially from the perspective of Hosea, this guy who was faithful to God, faithful enough to do the very thing that he said in marrying someone who probably wasn't his first choice. Again, like, can we be honest? Probably wasn't his first choice. And Hosea does the exact thing that God says to do, and where does it leave him? Gomer's gone. Gomer leaves. And Gomer is she's going back to what she knows. She's going back to what's familiar. She's going back to what she understands. And I struggle with this passage because there's part of me that says I totally and completely understand why Gomer would walk away. But there are other parts where it's like, no, 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 this makes no sense. Why would she leave this? Why would she, she's, she's living in God's will for her life, okay? We use Christian terminology here. She's living in God's will for her life and God's doing some good things and she, she found herself a stable man who's serving the Lord. She bails. Things got a little too real for Gomer. And it's like, why would she walk away from that to go to something that's completely unhealthy? And she knew she had to know. She had to know that this obviously wasn't the best career choice for her. Okay? Like, she had to know this isn't the best place for me to be right now. But she left Hosea she left the thing that God was trying to accomplish in and through her life to go and be with her men. Why would Gomer leave? Well, it's the same reason. It's the same reason you eat chocolate when you're depressed. It's the same reason you drink to forget to numb the pain. It's the same reason you binge watch Netflix because you're alone. Things get a little real when you put them in those kind of terms. And why do we do those things? Because they make us feel better if only for a moment. The truth is we can't escape that reality. What leads us to those things is the same thing that led Gomer to run, and that was her insecurity. Her insecurity is what led her to run away. Because here's what's ultimately happening in everything we've talked about so far. Here's what's ultimately happening is that Gomer misunderstood God's conviction for God's condemnation. Gomer misunderstood God's conviction for God's condemnation. 
condemnation. You see, condemnation is about our past. Condemnation is about the thing we were, the person we were, the things we did. Conviction is all about the present and the future. Conviction is all about what God's trying to do right now, where God's trying to take us to. You see, Gomer had this inability to get past her past. Here she is, she's stuck. And she can't get over these things that I did, this person that I was. And she says, you know what? I, 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 I've, I've tried going this way. I've tried so hard. I, I just, I, ha- I can't, I have to. And she goes back to the person she was, to the place she was. And you see, in those terms, this story becomes kind of painfully familiar at times. Because if there's one thing that this church has in common here, like we have a lot of different people at this church from like all different walks of life, from different backgrounds, even different religions and upbringings, different generations, and I love that about our church. I absolutely love that about our church. But if there's one thing we all have in common, it's insecurity. It's something we all deal with. It's something we all deal with from time to time. Some more than others. Others more than some. But that insecurity of what was. That condemnation. And we're hearing God's conviction of, no, 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 no. I'm trying to move you beyond this to just judgment, 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 judgment. And that's what we hear. But just because we're hearing that doesn't mean that's what God's saying. And I love this about this passage because, well, what about that part where God says, I'm not your God and you're not my people? Ooh. You see, what God's actually saying there is God says, this is what you chose. Let's call this for what it is right now, okay? God's saying, You've chosen other gods over me. I'm not your God. Those are your gods. God's still God, all right? Don't miss that. God's still God regardless of what you do or who you worship or who you follow. God's still God. God's just saying, let's just call this relationship for what it is right now, Israel. I'm not your God. You've worshiped other idols. You've fallen away from me. You've run to all these things because of reasons. And you and I so often, we hear God's conviction and we hear it. And we say, oh, he's just judging me. I just, I don't know if I can get beyond this. And we hear condemnation when God's ultimately speaking conviction and conviction which leads to life. God's saying, I'm trying to do a great work in you. Israel, I'm trying to do a great work in you. You have been unfaithful. Let's call this relationship for what it is. You have been Gomer. You have lived promiscuity. You have lived that out in your faith specifically in your unfaithfulness. 
we mistake God's conviction for God's condemnation. When we aren't secure in our relationship with Jesus, we will always go back to what we did before we met him. I'll say that again. When we aren't secure in our relationship with Jesus, we will always go back to what we did before we met him. Ultimately, God's trying to draw us forward. He's trying to draw us nearer and closer to him. And when, and when that relationship isn't secure and firm and built upon something that lasts, what happens is, well, we just go back to what we did before. God's trying to do something great in Gomer. God's trying to do something great in Hosea and Israel. And Gomer misses it and she leaves. She goes back to what she did. The end. Wait, what? No. Like if that's the way the story ends, it's like, ah, okay, there's no hope for any of us. The beauty of this story, and this is a beautiful story, depressing so far, mind you. This story gets so beautiful right at the beginning of chapter three. The Lord said to me, Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to the other gods, and love the sacred raisin cakes. I mean, I'm all down for a good meal, but again, not my first choice. Um, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Again, the beauty of this story. We can hear condemnation all we want, and we can misunderstand God's conviction all we want. The reality is, let's deal with the truth here. God's love and affection for Israel didn't change, no matter what Israel did. No matter how unfaithful they were, no matter how many other false gods they decided to worship, no matter how many sacred raisin cakes they ate, God's love for Israel unchanged. Unchanged. And God says, Hosea, let's do something really cool here. Go find Gomer. And Hosea does it. And he goes out and he searches for her. And he searches for her. And he finds her. Verse 2. So I bought her. Oh, jeez. What happened to Gomer? You had to buy her? Like, I've been at some low points in my life, but, jeez, I've never been to the point where someone had to purchase me from somebody else. Gomer's at a low point. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute 
or be intimate with any man. Those are some good rules. And I will behave the same way toward you. I love this story. Super weird. But I love this story. He gets his wife back. She's at her lowest point. Again, let's call a spade a spade here. She's at her lowest point. She had to be bought. And I love how, and Wesley mentioned this last week, that essentially what Hosea gave up to get his wife back was the equivalent to what he had. He gave it all to get Gomer back. He gave up everything he owned to get back his wife, his pride. And there's some of you here today and you're living in this space. You're living in this condemnation zone and you can't get beyond your past. And God's over here saying, no, 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 conviction, conviction, it's different. I'm trying to move you from present to future. And there's some of you here, and I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your history is. There are some of you here who are living here, and that's not where God's called you to be. God's moving you beyond your past. He's moving you beyond condemnation. He's moving you towards conviction. He's trying to propel you towards something wonderful and beautiful and great and glorious, something that's going to bring honor and glory to him. And it's only when we get beyond our insecurities of this, no matter what this looks like, we have to be able to move beyond it. And the stories in the Bible are full of people who could have lived here forever. There are some really messed up people in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible. Some really messed up people there. Paul wrote half the New Testament, murdered Christians, straight up, trying to shut down the church. Peter denied Christ three times as he was going towards and on the cross. That's a bad day. All throughout Scripture, we, sto- we see stories like that of people who very well could have lived here. But God's condemnation wasn't there. God's conviction was here and they're present and God was moving them forward and closer towards the thing that he was ultimately trying to do in them and God did miraculous works in and through all of those people. We have to move beyond our insecurities. That thing that you're insecure about, that past thing that you did, it's time to give it up. It's time to hand that over to God Yes, all of us have been unfaithful. 
all of us have run. And the beauty of this story is that this, this entire story of Hosea going after his unfaithful bride is the story of Jesus. Guys, we're Gomer. I am Gomer. We've been unfaithful. We have run from God. And despite that, Jesus came and gave everything for us so that we'd have a shot. Hosea says to Gomer, you're giving up this life. I'm moving you beyond condemnation. Let's go forward right here, right now. We're moving on. We're moving beyond this. That's the story of the cross. That he who knew no sin would be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. And we have to move beyond our insecurity, our past, our condemnation, and realize that God's wanting to do something greater in and through us. Our main point today is this. Finding my identity in my insecurity will lead to instability in my walk with God. Finding my identity and my insecurity will lead to an instability in my walk with God. Church, we have to move beyond what we are. We have to move beyond what we are. And Gomer, again, at the very beginning of our story, we looked at her, her reputation, what she was known for, the fact that she wasn't quite living up to her name. And I started thinking about that this past week, the, the idea of a name and what it means to know what your name means. And I was reminded of a, uh, of, of a, of a time back when I was, uh, I was about 21, 22, a few years ago. I met one of my really good friends and it was one of the most interesting interactions I've had with another person. Um, it was the very first time I met this girl and I said, hi, my name is Andy. And her response was, your name means manly. To which I responded, yes. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, I was like, what? She's like, yeah, your name, it, it means manly. I was like, okay, who are you? <laughs> and I was like, why do you know that? <laughs> and I thought this was really interesting. It was really cool. She said, well, I have a tough time remembering names. So what I've actually done is I've memorized the meaning of a whole bunch of different names. And I associate that characteristic with the person I've just met. I was like, whoa, never heard that before. Really cool. I'll see you later. And like, um, but no, and like, I, I was sharing that story with my family um, not too long ago. And it kind of dawned on me, like, I, I have no idea why I'm named Andrew. So I asked my parents uh, after telling them that story, I was like, so why did you name me Andrew? And my dad, I love my dad, pretty much like, that ah, was a biblical name. Come on, like there, there's more to it than that. Uh, Andrew, there it is. Um, and my mom, who is much better at these things, she, she kind of paused and just said, 
Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus. And we just wanted to speak that over you at a very early age. And all of a sudden, like, two things happened in me when she said that. There was intimidation. <laughs> like, oh, geez, how am I doing with that? Eh, I don't know. I'm doing the best I can. Like, it's, that's intimidating when you hear that. Like, that's what your name is. That's why we named you who you are, so that you would be that guy. Intimidation. But you know what also happened in my heart at that moment? Motivation. It's, it's not just about, okay, how have I been doing up to this point? Uh, okay-ish, maybe? I don't know. I haven't really done an evaluation on those things. But knowing the thing that God's called you to right here, right now, that conviction that understanding that God's moving you forward. God's moving you towards something good and great and wonderful and beautiful. We have to, church, we have to move beyond our insecurities, move beyond our past, and understand that God's wanting to do something good, great, beautiful, not just today, but in our future moving forward.